this uh, special day here at the church because we're beginning a brand new series of messages called House Rules. And uh, I, I said that this is a series, but really it's kind of like a two-part survey of a little-known Old Testament book called Haggai. So if you're somebody that likes to follow along in Scripture and go through the passages that we look at on your own, you're going to love this series. You're especially going to love it if you're not much of a reader because Haggai, it is one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. In fact, if, if you're one of the people that brings your Bible with you to church, do we have any of the people that bring a Bible, leather-bound pages? Just wave it at me. Okay, nobody, we're going to have to pray for our church. Nobody's bringing a Bible. You've got one. Okay, so you might want to like actually start finding your way there because uh, it takes a while. It's, it's, it's often overlooked passage of scripture overlooked because it's small and overlooked because sometimes we think it's even insignificant. In fact, even the, the categorization of this book makes us think it's insignificant because Haggai is what's known as a minor prophet. Now, understand in the Old Testament, there's categorizations of books. Minor prophets doesn't mean like they're not as good as major prophets, like they were trying. And if they just try a little harder, they'll make it into the majors. That's not what it means. It just means that this book is, is small in comparison to other prophetic books. And as much as this is a, a small book, this minor prophetic book has major lessons for you and for me that we're going to learn today and next week. So, so don't let its size fool you, because, because even though it, it's small, it's got some big ideas for us to consider and I've been praying specifically over this message and what I'm going to share next week. I believe it's going to be catalytic in the lives of so many people here today. That God would use this to reorient your perspective, to reframe some things in your life, to help you really prioritize the things that are important to the heart of God. And I believe through this that it's going to be encouraging. It's also going to be challenging. But I need your help this morning because this is an interactive sermon. I need your help in helping me preach it. So uh, if you would, just whether you came with somebody or not, just look at the person, you know, maybe elbow them, fist bump them, whatever you're most comfortable with, and uh, just ask them, are you ready for this? All right. Are you ready for this? Okay. All right. That's good because um, I need a little help this morning. Uh, I, I thought I'd ask for a, a, a volunteer. So um, just looking for who's not making eye contact with me. Uh, Harrison, you raise your hand. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come up here and uh, give Harrison a round of applause. I just, you know. So, you know, lots of times uh, I, I get in and, and read this and I just thought uh, before I start, it is, it is Pastor Appreciation Month and I thought maybe I'd just have somebody do a little of, of my work. So um, we'll put the words on the screen and uh, you can we just read this first verse for us. Yeah, yeah, just going to do right here. Gotcha. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to, Zebr to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest. That's awesome. That's right. Crush that. 
How many are glad I didn't call you up here? See, I just thought it's hard to appreciate what you don't have to do if you've never done it. So it's a lot of words in that first verse. But even that first verse has something to say to us. You know, the thing I noticed about that is it says on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. One thing you need to understand is that God often speaks to you through others. Like God, God speaks to you through a message, through a sermon, through a pastor. God will speak to you through your spouse. God will speak to you through your circumstances. And I want you to see that as we get into our message today, I, I want you to come believing that God is going to speak to you, that he knows your situation. He knows what you're facing, knows what you're going through. And that I may say something that's gonna be helpful for you, but it's not from me, it's through me. God speaks every time we open up his word and we're believing that he's gonna speak again today. So God's speaking through the prophet Haggai and, and this is what he says in verse two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I think Marissa has one of those purses. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. I wanna to speak to you from this thought today if you're taking notes. I'm calling this message blown away, blown away. And it's my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. I would just ask one more time, would you bow your head with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would speak through me. You always speak through your word. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to receive, and a heart to understand, God, all that you have for us. God, you know what the people need. I don't know what they need. So God, let this word be personalized and individualized to their situation. Holy Spirit, help them, speak to them. I believe you'll do it. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. How many of you would say you're a person who likes surprises? Anybody, just show your hands, like surprises. I did a, a little bit, some of you are unsure if you like surprises. Um, I, I did a little bit of a uh, unscientific poll yesterday on Instagram. It's one of the greatest reasons to follow me on Instagram. One of the greatest reasons to be on Instagram, honestly, is to get my stories. But, I did this unscientific poll. I noticed that as of this morning, 82% of the people that answered like surprises. 
which honestly is surprising to me. <laughs> because I figure if you're a person who likes surprises, you just haven't lived very long. Like my kids, for example, if I ask any of my kids, do you like surprises? They are going to say yes, because in their mind, they've equated surprises with good things. Every time it's a surprise, it's something good. It's a gift. It's a toy. It's an experience. But if I started saying, uh, hey, I want to surprise you with something, and what I'm going to surprise you with is chores, <laughs> I don't think they're going to like it. Hey, clean, clean your room. When you're done, I got a surprise for you. Okay, I'm done, Dad. What do you got? Now you get to clean my room. <laughs> I start surprising them with homework extracurricular activities that require labor, they're going to change their perspective on surprises. And I suppose it just depends on whether you consider yourself a optimistic person or, you know, more of a cynical person. Um, I'm not trying to tell you which one I am. I'm just saying it kind of determines how you view surprises. So real quick, let me just see again. Those of you who like surprises, just raise your hand. Yep. Okay. Those of you who don't like surprises, See, some of you raised your hand slow just because you didn't want to surprise yourself. <laughs> I, uh, see, I, I don't like surprises because I like to be in control. And, uh, and one of the worst things for me is opening a gift in front of somebody. I really think it stems, like, I, not, if somebody gets me a gift, like, I want to open it. But, like, really stems back to, I think, one of the first experiences is... Uh, is after our, our wedding, and we had had our wedding. The next day, my wife's family wanted to have a brunch for us so we could open all of our wedding gifts. That was awkward for lots of reasons. One of which is now I have to open a gift in front of 30 people while you watch me, and my face is gonna tell you whether or not you, you know this was a good gift. Oh, you shouldn't have. I mean, really, you shouldn't have. This, an ice cream maker? I know exactly where this is going to go, right next to our butter churner, because this is what we do. But I, I, I don't like surprises, but usually when we're surprised by something, we, we have this phrase, at least we use it a lot in our family, man, I was blown away. I was blown away by what happened. My wife just said this, Last night, she was watching TV. She likes to watch TV at night before she goes to bed in our bedroom. It's a little TMI, I know, but she like, I don't. I like to read my Bible and pray before I preach. But, you know, I'm not comparing, just saying, putting that out there. It's just facts. But she was watching, she's watching TV. I said, you know, if you wanted to, you could take those AirPods I got you and they connect to our television so you could watch Friends, this episode you've seen for the 47th time, and I wouldn't have to listen to it. She said, you have blown my mind. I did not know, you've blown me away. Didn't know that was possible. Blown away. Whenever we're surprised, the surprise is whenever we experience something that we didn't expect and being blown away, well, that's exactly what the people Haggai was talking to would have said they were experiencing. Literally blown away. You see it in verse 9. They're 
experiencing something they didn't expect. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Well, he tells us, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Now, as I read this text and had this series planned out and studying this week, it was not lost on me the coincidence of the timing reading this passage and what happened this week. Some of you may not know, this is another reason you should follow me on Instagram. Because uh, this week we had a surprise, a, a big surprise. Um, we'll just show you the picture so you can see. Uh, yeah, this is the front of our building. And I, I know when you see this, the, the first thing you think is, um, just leave it on this for a minute, is, is everybody okay? Everybody is, everybody's okay. Um, so I actually reached out to the person and, uh, and they, they'd already been discharged from the hospital. So all of our staff is okay. The person's fine. And, uh, but the house of the Lord was in ruin. And, uh, I don't know that maybe what you're experiencing is something cataclysmic like this, but I bet you can relate to the people Haggai was talking to in the sense that what you're experiencing isn't what you expect. Maybe you're frustrated at a situation. See, that, that's what's happening here in the text. The people that Haggai's speaking to, they're frustrated at their situation. Now understand, little context, they had previously been living as exiles in the land of Babylon. 20 years earlier, They've been able to return now to Jerusalem, land of Judah. And the reason they're able to return is because the Persians had conquered and now King Cyrus made a decree that they could go back. The whole reason they went back in the first place is to rebuild the temple. They had been destroyed, ravaged, everything was in ruins. So it was very central to their faith and to their life. And so you read about it in much of these prophetic books later on in the Old Testament, how they, they wanted to go back and rebuild this land that was destroyed, starting with the temple. Well, it's been 20 years now. They're back, but the temple's still in ruins. Now, they've made some progress. They started on the temple, and they've built their houses, but they lost sight of why they came in the first place because the temple is still in ruins. But they had a good reason. It tells us the reason in verse two, that they had this phrase they would say, where they would say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. I've noticed that whenever we don't wanna get around to doing something, we also have phrases we say. For me, usually it's with my kids asking me to do something, and I have this phrase, I say, we'll see, we'll see. Oliver will always ask me to play basketball. He's really into basketball right now. He says, hey, Dad, can we play basketball today? 
Can I come over to the church and play basketball? And I say, we'll see. Which are really two of the most useless words in the English language. Because when you say we'll see, what you really mean is please make my life miserable until you wear me down and I give in to what you want. <laughs> so it means we'll see. And maybe that's not your phrase. In the church, we also have phrases. One of the, our, our church phrases, if you're not a church person, you need to learn this phrase so you can fit in with church people. The phrase is, uh, let me pray about it. <laughs> Whenever you don't want to do something, you just throw that out there. We, <laughs> we did a series called Let Me Pray About It, so you could actually pray about it. It's not a bad phrase. Like, it's good to pray about things, and there's some things that you should pray about. But if we're honest, really, it's just procrastination. Like, there's some things that you don't need to pray about it. I anything that God has already told you to do doesn't require prayer. It requires action. So whatever you want to call it, I've discovered a lot of these things we say, these phrases we use, it's really at its core disguised disobedience. And I feel for Haggai in this moment because he's trying to motivate people to do what's right. And honestly, it's not like what they were doing was wrong. What I mean by that, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house. It's all good. It's okay. But you can tell they were almost trying to justify their, <laughs> what they were doing in their statement. Hey, it's not the right time. It's not yet time to build the Lord's house. There's a right time. Now's not that time. I mean, after all, we are just getting back from being in exile. I mean, the city's destroyed. We've got to have a place to live if we're going to accomplish this work. It's pro I mean, we've got to live here, got to make sure our family's secure. You know, we, we have to establish ourselves. Yes, the Lord's temple, we need to take care of it. Yes, it's important, but it's, it's not the right time. But at this point, I mean, there's starting to be some pretty nice houses in the suburbs of Judah. You got to remember, the fact that they're even here is a miracle. They never expected to even be back in this place. Now they're here, and the reason they came back is to rebuild the temple. That's what kicked this whole thing off. They would not have come back without the prioritization of rebuilding the temple. Because they understood that the temple is central, has central significance to anything else we're going to do. If we're going to do anything that matters, if we're going to do anything that's worthwhile, if, if we're going to come back and establish ourselves in the land, we need God at the center of it. So we got to do this first. So they started building the temple. It was the first thing they did. But in the process of rebuilding the temple, they needed to rebuild their lives. And in the process of building their lives, they stopped building the temple. It's not that they were willfully disobedient. They were just distracted. 
And I think that's true for most of us. I, I don't think most of us set out to be disobedient. I think most of us just get distracted. Life has a way of creating distractions. Well, see, what I noticed when Haggai's speaking to them, he didn't say that they're bad people. He just said, you're busy people. Busy people. And because you're busy, you've neglected what really matters. Can I get real with you for a moment? Like when, when I look out in the church, and see everybody and see people who aren't here and see people who are absent from involvement. I, I don't think it's the devil that's keeping you from being invested. I think it's distractions. I, I don't think it's because you're trying to find an excuse. I just think it's soccer. I just think you've got a lot on your plate at work and you give so much to yourself at work that you've exhausted any ability to give yourself to worship, to give yourself to service. And understand, I'm not trying to make you feel bad with this. I, I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots for you. Because what's going on with them, they're experiencing some dysfunction and they don't know why. And Haggai's coming to them saying, you got to understand that what you put in to God's house impacts your house. There's nothing wrong with a nice house. Nothing wrong with building your life, building your dreams, building your future. But you, you need to understand that if you neglect what really matters, you're going to be frustrated. This is the reason why you're frustrated. Uh, I'll put it up, put it in this, this scenario for you. Like in a month, in November, we're going to give a big offering. It's something that we do every year, something that we ask everybody to participate in. And the reason for it, I, I think that Everybody here, whether it's your first time or your 50th time, everybody here can appreciate that on some level because this is what makes the ministry possible, right? Not just this one, but consistent giving. It's what makes the ministry possible. Without, that's how we were able to get this building where you could experience God and receive from God and connect with people. And, and so there's an element where we can all appreciate that but sometimes the dysfunction in, in our life is because we haven't discerned the source that what I do for God's house impacts my house. That's what's happening here. He says, look, you're disappointed. I get it. This isn't what you expected. I understand. You planted a lot of seed, but you reaped only half of it. You reaped very little. Have you ever invested a lot into something only to be surprised at what you didn't get out of it? See, anytime you start a process without God at the center of it, you are going to be disappointed. Anytime. I don't care what it is you're trying to accomplish, what it is you're trying to do, what your goals are, I'm not saying that they're bad goals, they can be good goals, but any time 
you start a process without God at the center of it, you're going to be disappointed. You can be sincere in your efforts. Doesn't matter how good you are at it. What I'm trying to say is you can experience success and still not have significance or satisfaction. That's what he's going on to say. You, you've got, you plant much, you reap little. You get dressed, you're not warm. You drink, you're still thirsty. You eat, you're not full. All sorts of entertainment, but it doesn't fill you. Even when God blesses you, it's slipping through your fingers. It's a hollow blessing. And while these people were building their lives, dreams, futures, all of this stuff, they neglected the place of God's presence. And I'm saying all this to help connect the dots for you. If you don't get this, this doesn't make you feel bad. But if you don't get this, I'm trying to help you not live in frustration where why am I always doing so much but receiving so little? See, the thing that surprised me in this passage wasn't really what they were experiencing. It was that it was 20 years. Now, I know most of us think like, okay, I get it, but I would never let something go on for 20 years. I thought so too, until this week when my assistant said to me, hey, um, do you mind? Do you mind if I buy some outlet covers for your office? Okay, let me explain. You see, when we remodeled this building, we did not remodel our, we have offices in the back. We did not remodel our offices, but we did some stuff. You just, you know, we had some team help and painted and, you know, we, we did a few things. And of course, when you paint, you remove the outlet covers so you can paint and put them back on. But I've never put these back on and I've got a good reason. You wanna know my reason? Okay, it's because the walls in my office are white and I don't like the gray outlets. So I wanna buy new outlets and switches that are not gray, that are white, so it looks good. It's a good reason. We've been in this building for a year. I've had holes in my wall for a year. Just, I'll get around to it. And you can put it off so long that you don't even notice that things are in disrepair. You, you can put off things so long that you don't even notice that your marriage is crumbling. You don't even notice that your kids don't have a passion for God anymore. You don't even notice that the way you spend your money isn't in a way that honors God. You're just like, this is just life. Just, I've been living this way. You're not anti-God. You're not anti-church. You're just distracted. Yeah. <laughs> the way he says it, it's so relevant to me. He, he says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. In other words, which direction is your life going? Which direction is your life going? Let me make it real clear. If you are not more in love with Jesus, if you are not growing spiritually, if you are not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit more, 
if you're not closer in your relationship with God, if your friendships are not in God's house, your life is going the wrong direction. I'm not saying there's not good things happening in your life. They had paneled houses. I did the research so you don't have to. Paneled houses, they were cedar. They were expensive, all right? It was on the inside and on the outside. It was in the roof, it was sealed up. A lot of times in this day, it wasn't common to have, it was more common to have open houses. Their houses are sealed. They, they finished them off. They've got the finishing, nothing wrong with that. But see, progress is not just the amount of effort you put into it. Progress is not just the results that you have. Progress is, are you going the right direction? Because if your progress is in the wrong direction, that's not progress. So he says, he paints him a picture. He planted much, harvested little. Eat, you don't have enough. Drink, never full. Put on clothes, you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a place that has holes. In other words, you've got a lot of good pursuits, but very little peace. Problem's not the houses. The problem is they lost sight of what's important. So, so here's what God does. He says, because I care about you, I've decided to step in. And what he does, it might surprise you. It, it might blow you away. Because he says, you expected much, verse nine, but see, it turned out to be little. And what you brought home I blew away. I, I blew away? See, this messes with our theology a little bit because I always thought the devil was the source of my problems. Anything that's wrong in my life is just the devil. But he says, no, no, no. I blew it away. Pastor Justin, why would a good God make something leave my life? Well, why would a good God frustrate the process? I'm, I'm planting, I'm doing the work. I worked hard for this and even the stuff I brought home is gone. Why would God Blow it away. See, here's what I found. Sometimes God will blow it so you don't. Sometimes God will blow it so you don't. This wasn't punishment, it was protection. Here's the problem. They didn't say that they wouldn't. They didn't say this wasn't important. And you never say that you won't. All you do is put it off in the future. I was um, having breakfast with a friend of mine last week. Good friend. We probably talk, I don't know, at least once a week. And uh, 
we're having a conversation, and I said, hey, I need to ask you something really serious, maybe challenging. I said, why don't you come to church? I mean, this is my friend. All right, this is, like I'm in this guy's life. Why don't, why don't you come to church more often? And he stopped, think about it, and you know, he's like, man, I don't have a good excuse, maybe laziness. I mean, he's kind of going through all this stuff. But he did say something that I thought was interesting. He said, well, you know, I guess the only thing I'll say is, I know when I started, started a new career a few years ago, I, when I started this, I gave myself five years. I, I knew it was gonna be a lot of work. I knew it was gonna take a lot of time. I knew it was gonna, and so I just, I gave myself five years to do whatever it takes, and I'm doing like whatever it takes, and then come Sunday, I'm just like, I'm exhausted. And see, the thing about five years, is this long enough in the future? You don't have to do anything about now. The, the problem is, we don't say never, we just say not now. And you'll wake up, and 20 years go by, and you've missed out on what really matters. Understand, you can succeed without God, but you can't have significance. What am I, what am I trying to say? Not, not without God. I'm trying to say, what's the point? What's the point of making money if you die and go to hell? What's the point of hitting it, whatever that goal is, if your kids grow up not knowing the Lord? What's the point of getting the big house, the dream house, if by the time you get it, you don't even have a family anymore to enjoy it? I'm trying to say, you can hit your goals and miss the mark. Miss what really matters. That's what I mean by saying there's no significance to any process that God is not at the center of because this life is not all there is. There is an eternity. There are people out there that don't know Jesus. There's things that matter about how we live our life right now. And when you neglect God's priorities, what you really do is reject God's provision. There wasn't a lack of resource in their life. They had plenty of seed. They had plenty of timber. There wasn't a lack of resource. There was a lack of priority. So what God does, he interrupts the process because he doesn't want you dependent on anything that's not connected to him. The good news is he doesn't leave them there though. He gives them some very simple instructions. He says, I'm gonna make this so simple, so basic. There's no way you can mess that up. That's what he says in verse seven and eight. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Which way is your life going? Are you moving closer to Jesus? Is your life manifesting more of the fruit of the Spirit? Give careful thought to your ways. Verse eight, go up into the mountains, bring down timber and build my house. 
so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. It says three things. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, build my house. Here's the reason. Because when you build God's house, he builds your house. When God's priorities are my priorities, his provision has a place to land in my life. Understand, prioritizing God's house doesn't make things easy. It makes things possible. Makes it possible for what you're doing to matter. Makes it possible for what you're doing to have significance. Because God can't build on a foundation that you won't lay. So God will blow it away sometimes because he would rather you be frustrated than build your life on the wrong foundation. It's interesting because we, we sang this song, Firm Foundation, and it's referenced from a verse in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus is speaking. And this is what he says about people who prioritize his words. In fact, you want to know what Jesus is about? Jesus said, I will build my church. You want to know what Jesus cares about? Want to know what he's doing? He's about building his church. Well, he says this in Matthew 7, 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Storms, winds, that stuff is gonna come regardless. But have you laid a foundation? And that's why I'm not afraid of what I'm gonna face in the future. Because I have a foundation. God is the bottom line of my life. And when you can't say that, your life is filled with fear, paranoia, and anxiety. The beautiful thing about this story is that even when God comes to correct people, he gives them a second chance. I mean, this is 20 years. 20 years have gone by where they've missed it. But he gives them an instruction. He says, hey, if you will just go up to the mountain, get the timber, build my house, you'll be blown away by what God will do in your life. Look at what he says in verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord's people. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. He'll be with you every step of the way. The dreams, the houses, the life of the future. And wouldn't you rather build it with God, have him working on it, than working against you? It's not that God doesn't love you, but it's because he loves you. He wants you to have the right priorities. He wants you to have the right foundation. He wants it to be centered around him. There's no significance when it's not centered around him.